Welcome to another episode of We Written. I am your host, Andrew Slack, and I gotta be honest that I went back and listened to the previous two episodes, and I was nervous as all hell, and you can kind of hear it in my voice if you know me. Uh, and I find that really funny. I was talking to a couple buddies of mine, and I told them that I've done a lot of stuff. I do a ton of public speaking. I'm a teacher. I have traveled and and conversed a whole lot professionally and like as a normal freaking human being and for some reason for whatever reason maybe because it's more personal somehow I'm not really sure but doing this podcast so far has been the most nerve-wracking amount of speaking I have ever done in my whole life and I can't put my finger on why right now but I could tell you that yes if you had picked up on my nerves last week that uh sure I knew it too but uh it's kind of a great thing. It means that just this podcast has got to get better and better. And speaking of getting better and better, I have uh, the honor of this week dedicating the show to my father, Gary. He turned 63 today. When you hear this, not when I'm recording this, but today, June 1st, he turned 63. And I can't possibly say enough about the guy. He's my hero. He, I, I, I don't even know what to put it into words. I, I don't. So I wrote it down and I dedicated this whole episode to him and uh, essentially made another, I made the another character for the show after he and my mom. And I admittedly don't have a whole lot of cash. I don't like going with buying people crap for their birthdays. What I like to do is immortalize them and word or on video and that sort of thing and it's what I can do so pop I love you so much um you've given me everything you're my hero and I love you and I'm gonna repeat myself over and over again so uh without further ado here's this week's episode of We Written if you were to ask any citizen of Hornsby County they would tell you that their sunrise is the best. But you'd be hard-pressed to hear any two people describe it the exact same way. The folks in the plains would tell you it's the warm sheets of orange that wash over Hotchkin Farms that makes for their perfect morning. The hikers who meet the dawn in Mythic Valley would say that it's the light rain that falls and plays a soft prelude to the coming day. Commuters would say that it's the crispness in the air, the first taste of coffee, and the way that Frankie's piano over at Blue Eyes is the very voice of the morning itself. There's more than a thousand stories in and around the valley, never mind the whole of Hornsby County, and just about every one of them begins with their own perfect sunrise. Daybreak gives shine to dew-dappled grass, and most folks are roused from sleep by their alarms, their children or spouses. Martha Jane has been awake for a few hours now, well ahead of the first light. She's only occasionally one for a full night's rest, but spends her insomniac hours hard at work, plenty proud of the life she's built. She takes whatever is given and refines it to the ideal she dreamed of as a little girl, as a young woman and together with her husband, John. John wakes two hours after Martha. He's right awake with the sunrise, and he catches its first bits as they peek over the mountains. They may not wake at the same time, but Martha and John see first light in the same way, with a smile, sharing their perfect sunrise and another day of life together, two perfect pieces of the same soul. 
Today is John's 63rd birthday. Today he'll arrive late to work, Martha too, and they'll leave early. They'll eat breakfast together and tease one another. It's a normal morning. They can see each other's strengths and weaknesses, and they celebrate them all. Their kids and grandkids will be over later to help around on their eight acres, so John and Martha will take it slow, slower, as slow as they want, to stretch the morning as long as they'd like. John will hum and Martha will sing as they weed their garden, but they'll be sure to leave a few things for the kids to help with. It'd be nice if they could just take the entire day off, but thus is the nature of being a part of such a legacy as the one in which they've built. After all, being of the Jane family comes with it a certain responsibility, as much as it does respect. John and Martha stick their heads into William Jane and see their employees hard at work. They take pride in what they're a part of and what their forefathers had given them, what they'd built greater, something already remarkable. Normally, they would converse. They would brag, give advice, make merry, and generally raise up the energy and the happiness of their home away from home and the people therein. Today is just a look, just a peek, just parents checking in on their extended family. They smile and giggle and swell with pride, knowing full well that they're lucky to be part of such a family as William Jane, and to know that their staff feels the same. It's from example, of course. If there's any one thing that can be said about the Janes, and many things have been said, it would be that they possess hearts fifty times fifty size their bodies. They're made of love, of hard work, and generosity, and anyone lucky enough to cross their path is treated as friend. Their covert visit is exposed, however, what little cloak they possessed quickly taken when, out of the corner of his eye, Clyde sees his bosses, and Clyde is not one to keep a quiet tongue in his head. They weren't very subtle in their reconnaissance, to be honest. Being the most recognizable folks in the county is one thing, sticking your head into the front door of your own place of business is another, and forgetting that your front door has a rather loud bell is yet another something to betray their amateur attempt at subtlety. Though they are generous and kind, Martha and John possess not one stealthy bone in their bodies. Their employees and clients rush the doors and pull them in. The Janes are showered with well wishes for John's birthday, and then confetti and streamers for good measure. The employees belt in song, and the Janes are moved to tears of joy. It's an easy thing to do, but it's one still worth mentioning. Proud the Janes are, welcoming and rooted in their community, but they're always surprised when people praise them. They can't begin to know what they mean to the people of Hornsby County, the lives they've touched and the joy they've brought, the opportunities and new lives they've gifted. They cry so easily because it's just what they do. They're good folk, and they're surrounded by the same. It's the good man who will give of himself without reason beyond it's the right thing to do. It's the lucky man who will receive gifts and gratitude, and it's the greatest of men who will be moved by the positive actions of others and not inherently know why that praise is given to him. John doesn't ask for praise, for a good life, or for an influx of love, but he receives it because he is a rare man indeed. He's the best of people, not one to take for granted the good of others, but one to inspire such behavior in the first place. He makes better the world around him by simply being him. In the whole of Hornsby County, John and Martha had been a part of just about every life in some form or another. You were either an employee of theirs, or they helped you in realizing your dream. 
You were lucky enough to share a conversation with either of them, or you were taken under their wing. You might have been granted charity by them at some point, or you were supported by the hard work they'd put into the town they loved, the county that bore them, and the one that they called home. The Janes were as much a part of Hornsby County as was the soil and the sunshine, the grass and the rock beneath your feet, and the wind that swept through the valley. Hooked, John and Martha celebrate, and they're bombarded by stories from their clients and company. They focus most on David's new acquisition and shower him with praise, then Tabitha for being the one to handle the account. They then suggest that Tabitha and David drop all this tomfoolery and get hitched already and have a couple kids. Clyde remains silent, staring in admiration at his bosses. Call it shyness, maybe it's arrogance. No one but Clyde really knows. But because of his attitude, not many people can really see the value in him. The Janes can, and it's with great respect that he keeps his mouth shut, quietly observing and admiring his employers. Martha and Jane, having had enough praise, look at one another and nod. It's time they join the festivities in the best way they know how. John rushes to their office and returns minutes later with three bottles that appear to be made of more dust than glass. He states that it's a momentous occasion, one that deserves a spirit as fine as such a stroke of luck as David's, and, hell, one as wonderful as everyone who's a part of William Jane. John doesn't drink, though. He's been sober for 30 years. Martha does, and she says that it tastes like a sunrise, and everyone else defines what that means to them. David says that it tastes earthy like the valley, and he, that it clears his head. Tabitha says that it's powerful strong and that it gets the job done. And Clyde remains surprisingly quiet, introspective even. Then it's Mr. Ferris's turn, then Abigail Green, then Tim Arthas. Each person describes a different flavor, a different experience, and each one is happy. And maybe a little drunk. John looks over one of the bottles. The label is faded, sepia-toned, and peeling, but he can still read most of what's on it. It makes him smile every time he sees his family name on something, and even more so when it's something that brings happiness to others. Those bottles were part of a legacy, too, something that his father had done that led to who he was that day. Everyone already gathered, John decides to tell a story about his father. The crowd is hushed and has already forgotten about their own days, the things they had planned and the responsibilities that await them. They're content sitting, standing or leaning wherever they are, as long as it means hearing one of John's tales, tall or truthful. My father was a great man, John began. Now he didn't know that. He didn't care about greatness, and he just wanted to do his job well, provide for his family, and make those around him greater than they were at breakfast. Runs in the family, Martha adds, and everyone smiles warmly. The Janes kiss, and John continues. When I was younger, I was like every child. I could only see what was right in front of me or at my feet. And now my father had walked me home from school after a long, long day at the, at the distillery. And the whole time, I'm looking down at my feet, at my shoes. Boy, were they ugly. They'd seen some miles, let me tell you. So I look down, and I see my old shoes, and I... I asked Pop for a new pair. This is a big deal. See, we didn't have much at the time. This is before all of his hard work had paid off. 
He was still pulling down hours that would kill a regular man, doing what he could to make a better future for me, mine, and really all of you people. All of our savings were in building the business and helping out the town where we could. And Now Pop made sure we were taken care of, but he had taught me that money is best spent on making things better for as many people as possible. That food and shelter in the future was much more important than luxuries. And my father had made sure to raise me prided on community and, and others, of course, before myself. But all the same, I asked for those new shoes. I made it seem like it was the only thing that was important in the world. And then my birthday rolls around. And I open the small box that gets laid in front of me, and there they are. There's no name on the box, but my sister sure as hell didn't buy me those shoes that I stared down at. I tossed off my old ones, and I hopped into my new ones, and they were shiny and white and clean and new. I skipped and I jogged about, laughing and bragging, even before I could thank my parents. Dad was smiling quietly, you know, like he did. I remember him nodding, and I remember him walking into the kitchen to help finish dinner. And I looked at his feet. He was wearing the same pair of dress shoes he'd slipped on and off every morning and night for the past however many years. They were brown, but at one point they were black, and they sported these impressive holes that, well, you could barely call them a sole. Hell, the socks he wore had more material on them than what remained of the leather of the shoes that surrounded him. You see, I share this story because that picture has stuck with me to this day. I had assumed that when I'd asked for those shoes that Pop would get himself a pair too. Turns out we didn't have the money for two. You see, such a man, well, he'd put everyone else before his own desires. We didn't always see eye to eye, but I did learn what greatness was because of him, and it isn't in the things that you own. It's in how you affect the world around you in the generosity you give, and the heart that beats in your chest. After a pause, David toasts to great men, and everyone raises their voices with cheers of, Hear, hear, and that's right, and to the greatest, and everyone clinks their glass, and everyone drinks. Except John, of course. <laughs> the sun begins to set on Hornsby County, and by that time the Janes are already home. A sunset over their acreage is something unique. In most places, you could say that the sun retreats and is replaced by the darkness. Martha and John would describe the sunset over the Jane home as a song. It's a soft fade, the way that great music transitions from one part to the next, blending perfectly and augmenting the day that had given way to the night. A sky filled with purples, with oranges and darkening blues. It was their treat most nights. And because of their home and where it sat, they were routinely treated to a brilliant, starlit evening. Hornsby County had the gift of an almost unique map of the heavens, no place more breathtaking than at the Jane family home. There, amidst constellations you know, and a couple you might not, two stars shone brightest. Now, most call them the lover's stars. Those more studious would refer to them by their coordinates, the Janes called them their homeward compass. And no matter where you were in the county, if you followed those stars, they'd shine brighter and brighter the closer you came to the Jane family home. 
It's the whole reason their forefathers had set down roots in that very spot all those years ago. They'd felt comforted and guided to that plot of land and wanted their descendants to always come home to the same security. That day, John and Martha stood in their yard around a fire with their family. Everyone was fat and happy, filled with home cooking and more stories than one would think possible to share in a single meal. There wasn't a word said from the adults, and even the children seemed content with just the warmth of the fire and the spectacle of the canopy. The stars shone down brightly, and the moon bathed the Jane family in its light. The couples held hands and snuggled close, and John and Martha smiled. They watched the young ones point at constellations and then marvel at fireflies and flickering embers. There wasn't a more perfect evening anywhere. Not a greater gift for the patriarch and the matriarch of that family than what sat before them and surrounded them. Now, money they had, things and trinkets too, but they were wealthy because of the company they kept and the love they shared. They were abundant in stories and experience, and they were far from through collecting both. A perfect day gives way to perfect night and eventually sleep before another cycle of the same. Lucky they were, hard-working too, and most definitely deserving, but it was through their outlook and from their hearts that their perfect life was earned. They took nothing for granted and never ceased to build upon that which they'd woken with. If your morning were perfect, they could redefine that by lunchtime a thousand times over for the better. As the later hours came, so did the time for sleep. Martha and John bid good night to their family and sat by the fire. They didn't say anything because they didn't need to. They smiled and they held hands, and they stared into the sky until the first proper yawn escaped John. Martha laughs and kisses him on his cheek. They watched a show and then came the second yawn, Martha this time. They both smile and they make their way to bed. Tomorrow was another day, one soon to come and too soon to be over. It'd be spent making greater their world by simply being themselves. Now, you could ask many people in Hornsby County what they thought of their sunrise, and they'd probably tell you something different, each and every one of them. Ask them about Martha and John, and you might just hear the same thing. They're the sun that shines on the valley, the rain that nourishes it, the rock that supports it, and the wind that moves it. There are a great many things, like the county in which they live, but one thing they are for certain. They're a gift. And that is it for this episode of We Written. And like I said before, uh, nervous as hell to do this still. I don't know what it is. Um... I guess, yeah, maybe it is because it's a tad more personal because I'm putting my stuff out there. But, uh, you know, you can't be afraid to do the things that you want to do. And uh, Lord knows that I've been afraid something fierce lately. I went through a whole lot of shit this year. And that's partly why I'm doing this podcast is because I write books mostly. And uh, I submitted my first one, finally, to to uh, Daw Publishing, who handles Patrick Rothfuss, my heroes, he handles Patrick Rothfuss's books, and I don't know why that even took me so long to do, but the, that's not really the point. The point is, is that I'm doing this podcast in part because you can't sit on your ass and wait for the day that you die. You got to go and do the things that you want to do, 
And my parents are a great many things, uh, just like the characters that they inspired. But inspiring as a whole, inspiring is most definitely what they are. They're great, truly great people whom I love with all my heart. And today my dad turns, like I said, he turns 63. And he's my best friend, and I've learned so much from him. And I can't thank... If Dad, if you're listening, I can't thank you enough for everything you've given me. Mom, too, I love you both very much. I'm so proud to be your son. Thank you for everything. And to everybody else out there, if you've got somebody you love, be it a you know paternal, maternal figure or a buddy or you know a spouse or whatever of some kind, go tell them how you feel, if it's positive. And if it's negative, go tell them, too. Maybe that'll solve some problems. You know. Um, and to those of you who have been submitting or talking about even just talking about submitting work to this, thank you guys so much. I can't wait to read your work. I've read some already and it's really great. I, I mean, like there's so many, there's so many talented writers out there. It's insane. There's so many people with so much talent. And so, uh, I, one of the points in doing this is also, if you don't have an outlet for your writing, I would love to possibly be that outlet. If you want to submit your work, if you want to add to the world of, we written, please do. Uh, of course, I got to have a conversation with you. I don't just take blind submissions at this point. We might one day, but I really like the idea of actually somewhat knowing you before you put your stuff on my show. Uh, yeah, but at this point, that's really all that I've got for you. You guys are absolutely beautiful and wonderful. And thank you so much, those of you who've been listening so far. And those of you who are new, welcome to the show. You're probably pretty freaking cool, too. Um, but for today, that's going to be it from We Written. Again, my name is Andrew Slack. I'm your host every first and fifteenth of the month. You can find uh, you can find our episodes on YouTube. Just go to Chickenfoot TV. You can find us on SoundCloud. Just do a search for We Written, and we're also on iTunes. Uh, but for now, go and have the best day that you've ever had, and we'll see you again on the next episode of We Written.